If you have your Bible this morning, I'll invite you to Romans chapter 3. We're in this series called The Heart of the Gospel, and we're trying to journey um, our way through Romans 3, 4, and 5, which is where uh, a lot of the the kind of... it's not that the other stuff isn't important. It's just a, a, where a, a lot of the good stuff and understanding uh, of what the, the gospel is, uh, it's where a lot of it gets unpacked. So I want you to do that. Um, so to kick us off here, uh, start with this way. How many of you knew that there was a website called HowStuffWorks.com? Anybody? Yep. Any of you nerds spend some time, I mean, uh, people spend some time there uh, checking it out? Okay. Okay. So uh, let's say if you're under uh, 13 or so, uh, if you're 13 or under, let's go that way, 13 or under, like what's the one thing if you could figure out how it worked, it would be totally, totally awesome in your life. Anybody? 13 or under? We had Black Hole already in the first service. Uh, yeah, and he wasn't 13 and he's a PhD in physics. So we'll set him aside. Let's push him over. Okay, other than a black hole, like if you could figure out something, how it worked, so you read an article, see a video, whatever, what would it be? What, what would be really awesome? Somebody. I'll call on you if you're not. Somebody raise a hand. Okay, let's go above 13. Go ahead, Kylie. A phone, like the cell phone, right? You probably got some people around there who could flip it over and just undo it for you, then you wouldn't have a phone. But I mean, they could show you what is on the inside. Awesome, good. Somebody else? <laughs> For those of you watching at home, somebody with a deep voice that's not 13 said, women. (laughs) This was such a great idea when I was in my office thinking about how to open the sermon. One more. Yes, Wes D. What did you say? Your car. Like figure out how your heart, your heart works. That's really awesome. Are you going to be a doctor one day? Oh, you just wanted to know, huh? Just wanted to know. All right, that's cool. That's good. Um, here's the thing. Like, the thing that I've noticed in my own life, this is true of you too, uh, is my guess. The more important it is to you, the more fascinated you are with it, right? Like you get something that pops up on your Facebook feed or you get some email from some person and they're like, like if somebody were to email Wes and say, hey, check out this video on how the heart works. Wes would be like, totally awesome. I've got a heart. It's a fairly important part of my life. I think I'll watch this video and figure out what the cardiodynamics of my life are, right? And so he'd watch and understand and see that, you know, one side pumps one way and one side pumps another and it's red and blue and really cool and just try to figure this out. Like the more important it is to you, uh, the more fascinated you are with it. And furthermore, not only is the more important it is to you, the more fascinated you are, the more important it is to you, the closer you pay attention. Like if that email comes in or that thing pops up and it's, it's your thing, like it's your thing, you kind of lean in like, whoa, check that out. And not only that, but then you take an opportunity to forward that on. Be like, hey, people, check this out. Or if you're interested in hearts like me, if you want to know how the black hole works, nerd face, all of my nerd friends, I'm sending this out and whatever. The more important it is to you, the more fascinated you are by it. The more important it is to you, uh, the more you pay attention. So here's we're going to look at a passage today in the book of Romans that Martin Luther, the um, guy who started the Protestant Reformation, said was the most important paragraph in the Bible. 
And not because the other paragraphs aren't important. That's not at all. But this is like these seven verses, six verses together, are really something along the lines of HowStuffWorks.com for the spiritual transaction that happened at the cross. When we talk about the heart of the gospel, this is the stuff that sits behind the the, uh, face of the clock that lets you know the inner workings and how the thing actually goes and keeps time and keeps moving forward. So that's that's where we are. In Romans chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 21. Romans 3, 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Let's pause right there. When we say the righteousness of God, probably not a phrase that you used in conversation this week at Starbucks or something like that, but here's what I want you to hear. The, the, the phrase righteousness of God, it, that word righteousness, it, it's a whole, there's a whole family of words that are associated with it. That in the Greek, it's dikaiosune, the, the dikai family. Um, that part's not interesting. What is interesting, though, is righteousness and justify are all in that same family of words. So when you see righteousness and when you see just or justify, um, you will have that same family of words. Okay, so it all kind of wraps up and means not exactly the same thing, but they're all co- uh, they're, they're all related to one another. Okay, that, that's the thing I want you to hold on to. Specifically, when he, Paul here is talking about the righteousness of God, what he's talking about is the justifying activity of God toward you and me, such that we are made right with Him. The justifying activity of God. God's justifying activity of humanity such that you and I are made right with Him. So think about that. Have that in your brain when we read righteousness of God, that this is God's movement toward us, His activity toward us, such that we're made right with Him. Here we go. Now, uh, but now, the righteousness of God has been uh, manifested apart from the law, although uh, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Remember, there's not Jew or Greek. It's just all, we're all in the same situation. And here's the situation we're in, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When it comes to God moving toward us, acting to justify us and make us right with Him, when it comes to that, I want to try to break this down into three uh, little parts here. Uh, the first part is, is that God is willing to do it. He is willing to do it. And when I say willing to do it, this is important that we hold on to this, okay? Why, why is it important that we know that God is willing to do it? Here's why. Because God knows the mess that we're in. Excuse me, God knows that we are a mess and He knows the mess that we're in. He knows that we are a mess, and he knows the mess that we're in. And some of you are thinking, I'm not that bad. I mean, like, look at the guy next to me. I mean, seriously, they're in bad shape. Me, though, I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. That's what he says in verse 22. There is no distinction. There is no distinction. There's not some gradation of how broken and messed up you are. No, really, genuinely, before God, everybody spiritually stands the same. Apart from Jesus, we're all a mess. And, we, and because uh, we're all a mess, we also find ourselves in a mess. And that mess looks like this in, in uh, a couple of chapters later in verse 6, verse 23. The Bible says this, that the wages of our sin, the things that we earn, the, the, the compensation for our sin is death. Not a slap on the wrist. Not a spiritual spanking, none of those things. 
The wages of our sin is death. In other words, we will be separated from God, and if we die apart from God, we will remain separated from God. That's, that's a terrible thing. We are a mess, and, and because we are a mess, we find ourselves in a mess. And just think, just be honest with yourself for just a second. How far do you have to look over your shoulder to figure out that you're actually a mess and in a mess? 42 seconds. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. We are a mess. We're in a mess. Well, again, I'm not so sure. Don't you remember the horror? This is the, these are the verses that we read last week. I'll just read a couple of them. Uh, back to uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Don't you remember this? As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So how many? None. That's exactly right. Uh, no one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become, what? Worthless. No one does, no one does good. Not even one. We're in a, a, a spiritual wreck. Our, our life is off track and, and out of whack. There's no purpose in our life that honors God. We, we've taken up other purposes. We've tried to fill ourselves with all sorts of uh, temporal things to satisfy our eternal need. It, this is, it, it expresses itself in our words and our actions and our morality and a hundred other ways. And even more than that, verse 20 of chapter 3 is very clear. And it says this, that it, by, no, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In other words, we are a mess and we're in a mess and we can't dig ourselves out of it ever nobody can there's no person in here who can do enough good stuff to try to balance the scales because the the treachery the treason that you committed against God is so infinite that your finite works will never be able to balance the scales much less tip them in your favor good news though and it starts in verse 21. I, I love this. Don't, don't miss it. After all of the bad stuff leading up, right, right, by, no, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Verse 21, but now, but now. There's a change here. Like, this is a situation, and it's a bad situation, but now. This is a, 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 a tragic deal. This is a bad thing. This is a but now. And what is that but now? But now, the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. God has moved toward us. God knows that we are a mess, and He knows that we're in a mess, but still He chooses to move toward you and me. He chooses, of His own initiative, of His own um, decision, of His own will, and of His own purpose, He chooses to move toward us. But now, now, don't miss this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What's he saying? This is the same story that God's been telling um, for a long time. It, it, the, the righteousness, the saving activity of God is made manifest. It's shown apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they, they, they testified to it. The, the saving activity of God was made manifest in Jesus, but the, the law and the prophets, they, they told us that this was coming. Even back, as far back as Genesis chapter 3, um, he speaks to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, one day there's going to come from you, the woman, a seed, and he, the serpent is going to strike his heel, but the, he will crush the serpent's head. Amen and amen for that. And then he speaks to Abraham, through you uh, and your seed, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And he speaks to David, there's going to be one who sits on the throne 
of your kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And he speaks in the Psalms about a Messiah who's coming. And he speaks to the prophets about a servant who's going to come and give his life uh, for those who, and bear the sins of those who have turned away from God. And on and on and on. But all the way back from the very beginning, all the way to this moment, but now, God's been telling this entire story the entire time. He's been saying to you and to me, I'm in the process of bringing salvation to bear um, on humanity. And I want you to be in on that. God moves toward us anyway. And not that this, it just doesn't stop there. Verse 22, the righteousness of God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Now don't miss this. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now this is a really important thing. In your Bible, look please at the end of verse 23. There's a point of punctuation there. What is that piece of punctuation? It is a what? It's a comma. Now, most of us have the kind of inclination to live our lives as if there's a period there. This is the final thing that God would say about me. I have sinned and fallen short of His glory. I have missed the mark. I have messed up and I have lived my own way. And period, that's the end of that story. Guess I'm in really, really bad shape. But God would not leave a period there. What did He instead put? A comma. A glorious, wonderful comma. If He were to put a period there, what would that mean? What grammatically would that mean? That's the end of His thought right there. Instead, there is a comma, which means what? There is so much more to come. This is just a brief pause to let you catch your breath after such a stunning blow. For all have sinned. You have sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. You have missed your purpose and the, and the reason for your creation. Comma. Take a breath. Why aren't we taking a breath? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Comma. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is this glorious comma that says, yes, we are broken, we are a mess, and we're in a mess, but God moves towards us anyway. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm not sure that God could save me, and I'm certainly not sure that He would save me. He's willing to move toward you. That's what He's saying here. That's what he's saying. Now, the problem comes is if he's willing but not able. Um, and so Paul takes that up again. We're, we're talking about the, the kind of inner workings of salvation, the things that are happening, if you will, backstage, behind the scenes. We're talking about the internal mechanism of this. And this is what he says in verse 24 and 25. Don't miss this. We are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. Now that is a mouthful right there, folks. That's like a, I mean, like a too large piece of steak that you stuck in your mouth and you're just like, that's theological chewing gum is what that is. You're just going to hold on to that and just hold on to it and hold on to it. But there is such good stuff in it. So don't, let's not miss this. Let's start here. Is God willing? Yes. Is he able? And the answer is Yes. Yes, he's able. Why is he able to do this? It's because of verse 24 and 25. Let's talk about, again, it's, 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 it's a hefty chunk here, but let's talk about the things that are easy first. Uh, first of all, his payment was made by blood. Whose blood? The blood of Jesus. 
The payment was made by his blood. It wasn't in the Old Testament, uh, you know, they would have sacrifices and so forth and so on. They would uh, bring uh, some sort of animal, uh, depending upon what you could afford and what the law called for, uh, uh, birds or uh, a goat or a sheep or a bull or an ox, anything like that. They would bring these things. They would bring these things and they would offer these sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. And the scripture goes on to say later, hey, it's, it's not by blood it's of some animal that you're going to get forgiveness of sin. Jesus has offered his blood. You and I, we're not dependent upon animals for this anymore. He instead has offered his own blood for you and for me. He instead, instead of some other substitute, he has become the substitute for us. It's his blood that he has done this. No longer is there this, in, in Yom Kippur, uh, the day of atonement for the Jewish uh, faith, they would bring two goats in uh, and they would cast lots and one, they would, uh, uh, the priest would lay his hands on and uh, confess the sins of the people and they would tie up and then lead out into the wilderness. They called that the scapegoat. Some of you know what that feels like, don't you? Be tied up and let out into the wilderness after somebody laid their hands on you and confessed sin. Uh, you just kind of did that. The other one uh, would be slaughtered and sacrificed, and his blood would be sprinkled uh, upon the mercy seat of the altar to atone for the sins. So you had both. You had a payment for sins and a taking of uh, away of sins. A payment for sins and a taking away of sins. Is this starting to sound familiar to anybody? Jesus dies on a cross, and then they lay him in a tomb. A payment for sins and a taking away of sins. No longer are we dependent upon a couple of goats, though. Instead, we've got the very Son of God who stepped into our world willing, yes, and able, because He was willing to uh, make payment by His own blood. And uh, secondly, payment was made to vindicate God. Now that sounds a little strange, maybe to our ears, because we write ourselves at the center of this story. We are not at the center of this story. This is an important thing. God is the one who is at the center of this story. And payment was made uh, to forgive sins, yes, but also to vindicate God. Why? Because his character is in question if he doesn't fully punish sins and if he doesn't fully forgive as he promised. So here's what I want to look at. The last phrase in verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. What? God didn't make as much of, of, of all of the things that had happened before as, as maybe he should have. And so can we flip back to uh, Psalm 103? If you have your Bible and you're familiar enough with it to find the Psalms, it's kind of right there in the middle. It's the longest book of the Bible. You kind of stick your finger in the middle. You'll find it. Psalm 103, a couple of verses that are uh, next to one another here will help me make the point that needs to get made. Psalm 103, verse 10. Listen to this. He does not deal with us. I hear some pages turning. I'm going to let you turn there so you can put your eyes on it. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What does that mean? Is that his character then could be called into question uh, because if he's passed over former sins in order to pursue his people, is he really that holy? Is he really that just? Is he really that righteous? And is he really that serious? Is he? He's passed over these former sins. He's, he's like, oh, well, you know, it's not that big. Some people say, oh, well, then sins must not be that big of a deal. Some people say, well, maybe he's just not that serious about it. 
Um, here's what I want you to do. Just imagine for a moment um, that we had a judge around here, some local judge, and some really evil person did some really wicked thing, and he comes before the, uh, the judge and is standing there before the judge, and your honor, yes, I did these things. There's no doubt that I'm guilty. And the judge goes, eh, okay, eh, $50 fine, and you're released. $50 fine? What would we do? We would be up in arms. There'd be Facebook posts and tweets and uh, pickets and, you know, signs out there. Like, get that judge the heck out of office. Why? Because we're like, there's no justice in letting those people off that easily. And we would be right. What if we're the one who's wicked and has done the evil thing, though? And we're standing before God. Would we still feel the same way? Because we want justice for everybody else, just not for me, right? Just not for me. In the same way, though, God, because he has not dealt with us according to our sins, that's what Psalm 103 says, he has not dealt with us. It looks like maybe he's letting us off easy. That's what Romans 3 says, he's passed over these sins. And they say, oh, well, I mean, if you passed over your sins, uh, maybe you're not that serious about it. Should you have passed over your sins? Anytime we make little of punishment, when we make punishment look small, we also misunderstand the problem that we're actually facing. There's a reason why there is a hell. It's because there is wicked and evil, and God's not going to tolerate it forever. He's passed over sin, and he has pursued his people. So how then does that sin get paid for? We'll talk about that in just a second. Hold on. Verse 11 of Psalm 103, still there. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If he, didn't, if he wasn't serious about sin, if he didn't punish sin as he said, if he passed over sin in order to pursue his people, That's one problem for God. The second problem for God is his character gets called into question if he doesn't fully forgive us as he promised. How far did he promise to take our sins away? As far as the east is from the west, that's a pretty far distance. I'm not exactly sure how you measure that, but east to west, that's a long way, right? How come then every year we had to bring it back up and bring it back up and bring it back up at at Yom Kippur at the Day of Atonement? How come we continually had to offer these things? Because it wasn't fully done yet. If, if he, uh, his character gets called into question, if he passes over, his, if passes over sin in order to pursue his people, and his character gets called into question, if he doesn't fully forgive sin as promised. So God's in a bit of a pickle here, isn't he? He's done both of those things. Apparently, right? Jesus comes to the cross to vindicate God. Payment was made, yes, by his blood, but also to vindicate God. Listen to this from Colossians 2. How did this happen? Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, disconnected from God totally. Not set apart to God. God made alive together with him. Christianity, folks, is not about bad people becoming good people. It is about dead people coming to life. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us how many of our trespasses? How many does it say? How many? All. Like the ones in the past? Those? Yeah, the ones that we're struggling with right now. Yes or no? Yes? Yeah, even the ones in the future that we haven't committed yet? 
Because all means He has forgiven us all of our trespasses. How did He do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Just picture this, okay? Like all of the sins that I've committed, all the ones I'm struggling with right now, and all the ones that I will commit in the future, I've written down on a piece of paper. That is the certificate of debt consisting of decrees with its legal demands, it says. And what has He done? This He set aside by putting it in a file that he'd forget about? No, 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 no. By throwing it in the trash saying it's not that big of a deal? No. How did he do it? How did he set it aside? By nailing it to the cross. Because, folks, it wasn't a piece of paper that my sins, that carried my sins. It was the body of Jesus. And thankfully, folks, church family, listen to this. Thankfully, when Jesus came down from the cross, my sin did not. And it's still there and paid. All of the things that God has done for me, all of the the, the ways that He has moved toward me in order to justify me, in order to make me right with Him, all of these things that I had done that were wicked and evil, and just written them out, just huge paper of all the things, all the sins that I've committed, God put just laid that out before Him, and He took a big honking stamp, and He went, and big, He picked it up, and it's red everywhere, paid in full. Not, not in ink, though, but with the blood of Jesus. He died to make payment for our sins, yes. And he died to vindicate God. So we pick up this beautiful word in verse 25. This word right here, in, in, back in Romans 3. Whom God put forward Jesus. God put Jesus forward as a what? As a propitiation. Again, this is not a word you use every day. It probably didn't come up at Starbucks this week for you, I'm guessing. Here's the deal. It's a great word though. It's a great word. Like we need to hold on to this word. Why? Because in doing so, what we learned by, by propitiation is there is a payment that was made. The debt was paid and God purchased through Jesus. He purchased favor for us. He purchased favor for us. And I'll just demonstrate it uh, this way. I need a, just a, uh, I'm looking or scanning for a volunteer. Wes D., I'm going to pick back up on you, okay? Because you were so kind to say something earlier. Wes, let's say you owe Mr. Alex $10 million. Mr. Alex is very excited about this. He's turning around looking for payment. Wes D., anyway, you're going to earn $10 million. You're like, no, I don't have a lotto ticket. I don't have a job that's going to make me $10 million to pay back. I'm in none of, there's no way that I can pay you back. So you go before Mr. Alex, and you're like, Mr. Alex, I'm so sorry that I owe you this $10 million. Will you please forgive me of my debt? And Mr. Alex, because he's so generous and compassionate and kind towards you, looks at you and says, no way, what? no, don't go. He looks at you. Because he, 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 wants, he wants this thing to be right with you, Wes. And so he looks at you and he goes, Wes, $10 million. I will forgive you of this debt. And you're like, $10 million, baby. I'm out. I'm gone. Then you turn around and look at Mr. Alex and you're like, wait a minute. What's the, what's the catch, right? Or you say, let me ask you this, Wes. Do you think it would ever be weird to hang around Mr. Alex knowing that he forgave you $10 million from then on? 
It would be a little weird. You'd be like, if I sit at the table with Mr. Alex and I owed him $10 million and he forgave the debt, I would still feel like this the whole time. Just ee. Or maybe I would try to take his plate every time that I could possibly do it to, to try to pay him back just a little bit. I know it was only like one penny worth of effort, but I'm going to pay him back just a penny at a time, just a penny at a time, right? It would make it a little weird to be around him. Some people think, I mean, they can get all excited about the payment being made. $10 million worth of debt erased. But it still feels kind of like this, to be around God. So, God saw to it that it wasn't just the debt that got paid, but also favor that was purchased for you. So that when he invites you to the table, you don't have to feel like you have to pay anything back. You couldn't pay anything back anyway. You don't have to feel out of place at the table. You can now relate to him. As, that's what he says. Look, look back in verse 24. We've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. We are justified by his grace. How? As a what? As a gift. We have to receive this. He gives us this grace, this right standing with him of justification as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, not only are we made right with him, we are then set free to live right with him. That's what he's saying, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So now we get to relate to him as our Savior. We say, oh, thank you, God, that you are the kind of God who looks at the world and and looks specifically at my world and sees that I am a mess and that I'm in a mess, and yet you still step towards me. We get to relate to him as our Lord to say, I see that you have dealt with my biggest issues and my biggest problems. We get to relate to him as our healer. God, you are the one who makes me right, not just a little bit, but like you set me right. We get to relate to him as our father, such that when he invites us to his table, we're not just eh, kind of squirrely around somebody who we owed a lot of money to, and now we don't have to. Instead, we get to relate to our heavenly father, and we get to relate to him as our king to say, hey, you're in charge, you're the boss, and whatever your question is, my answer is yes. So I'm just sticking that out there. That's how we relate to him. He not only paid our debt, but folks, he purchased favor for us. And we don't have to get tense around him. Instead, we are people who have received him and received him fully. So he's willing, yes, and he's able, yes, and finally he's committed. Just a couple of words here on verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because some of you say, uh, I, I get it that he's willing. I get it that he's able. I'm just not so sure about this whole thing. He's committed though. He's committed. That's what he says. He is just and the justifier. In other words, um, He's demonstrating this this action of his at this present time so that he can be just. Folks, listen to me. He's just in saving you. He is just in saving you. What does that mean? He's right in doing this. Because some of you come with this particular question. It's a pastoral question. I get it. It's kind of an application question. I get it. But this is your question. I'm not sure that God can forgive my sin. Their sin? Sure. That sin? Yes. Yes. Those kinds of sins, yes, 
But my particular sin is too dark, it's too heinous, it's too evil, it's too wicked, it's too confusing, it's too complex, it's got too many layers, there's too many questions that hang around. Like, I'm not sure that God can deal with my sin. Here's the thing, church family, listen, listen. Either Jesus has forgiven all of our sin, or we are all in a big mess. All of our sin. Not some of it. Not just some of it. Not just the easy ones. He's forgiven all of our sin, all of it. So whatever you bring to him, listen, either Jesus died for that sin or we are all in big trouble. Either sin is more powerful than him or he is more powerful than sin. There's only two options. He is just in saving us. Secondly, not only just, but also the justifier. He is the one who enjoys this. He is the one who's taking the initiative to do this, to say, yes, I'm excited to actually pull this off. I'm excited to make this happen. I'm the justifier. Um, I, I'm not, it's, again, pastorally, the question may come up like this. I'm not sure that God wants to actually forgive me. Th- that he can, I understand. I'm just not sure he actually wants to forgive He's just, and he's the justifier. He sends Jesus to be the propitiation, to pay our debt, and to purchase favor, and to demonstrate his love. And I ran across this quote this week in my study. Listen to this. Our own justification before God rests on the solid reality. Don't miss that. The solid reality. So you're not grasping at air here. On the solid reality that the fulfilling of God's justice in Christ was at the same time the fulfilling of his love for us. So in salvation, there's a judicial part. Remember, we're looking at kind of the inner workings of this, the stuff that's behind stuff. We can, this is spiritually howstuffworks.com. This is where we are. The, 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 the judicial part is saying, hey, there's a payment that has to be made. Kaboom, the payment gets made, but also an invitation to be a part of his family. That's love. Both the justice and the love were fulfilled at the cross. And our response, it says at the end of verse 26, is simply to believe it. He might be the just, and it might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So our response is to put responses to put our faith in Jesus. To comprehend what he has done, yes. To respond at the level of the soul with this sense of conviction, yes. And then to commit our life to him, yes. If you're here this morning and that's never been part of your story, if you're here this morning and that's a struggle for you, I invite you. And when we come to the table here in a moment, before you take communion, before you wrestle with anything, you wrestle with God to say, God, I need to sort this some stuff out. I need to get some stuff straight. There'll be guys at the tables uh, here in just a moment who'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. We'll do that here in just a minute. But before we get there, we come to this time of communion to remember, to remember that Jesus has taken our place. It should have been our body that was broken. Instead, it was Jesus' body that was broken. It should have been our blood that was spilt in judgment. Instead, it was Jesus' blood. We as a church family, we do this the first Sunday of every month. And we do it kind of two different ways, this particular way today. We do it at the table so that you can, uh, when it's uh, time and when you're ready, you can stand and go as a family or as an individual um, to these tables and you can partake. It's a symbol of you coming to Jesus. It's a symbol of what faith looks like. 
So I'm going to pray, give us an opportunity to get settled. Jordan's going to come uh, sing a song over us as we uh, rest in this truth and then respond by taking communion. As a church family, uh, there will be deacons at each of these stations. If you have any prayer need, we've been praying a lot these past several weeks. It's been a good thing. This is how we're going to express this this time. If you have any prayer need, that you would make your way to one of those deacons and just grab them and say, would you please pray for me about this, whatever that may be. As well, uh, as part of this, if you've got folks around you who may look like they need help, either getting to the tables, or it'd be better just to get uh, some elements and bring them back to them, please do so. Okay, just take care of the... We're family. Take care of the family that's around you. Let's pray, and then we'll have some time to respond.